on the pressures of partially... Hold on, this isn't right. Yeah. It's not going to work out at all. I'm going to need to make some changes before I can get into this message and really do it right. So um, what I'm going to need here... Yeah, yeah. I need you too. Come here. Come on. Come on. Come on. Here. I only got 35 minutes. Come on. Y'all come over here, if you would, please. Come, come on. Come, come. Come, come. Come. I'm going to need you guys. Come, come, come. Yeah. It's okay. It's all right. Come on. All right. Now, you guys are going to sit there, because I can't believe you would come to church looking like that, Dennis. All right. Good your only saving grace is your wife is prettier than you. Y'all come up here. Paul looking really smart. I need you to sit right here. Yeah. Yeah, that's better. Looking good. Yeah. Right there. Actually, you two. I need you in the front row because you are not second row material here. So come on. Come on. Ma'am. Sir. It's okay. You can have it back. You two, however, come with me. Yeah. Come, Come hurry up. We don't have all this time. I'm going to need you all to sit right back here. Yeah, yeah, right, right back there. Yeah, um, I think, uh, sir, I need you up front. Yeah, please come. Just some more, some more of that smart up front material here. So much, yeah, right over, right over here on this side. Um, it's looking back. You, come here. Yeah, come on, hurry up. You act like I, look. Uh, the longer this takes, the longer I preach. Come on. Just because I think you need some really good supervision. <laughs> right over here. Yeah. All right. That. Yeah, I like that better. That. <laughs> well, wait, come back. <laughs> what was it, something I said? <laughs> oh, okay. This time. See, the, here's, here's the thing. I even had some jokes about lawyers, but my two lawyers didn't show up today. Uh, and I would say we had a special place for our lawyers and how we have a special place for our engineers, which is pretty much anywhere in the room because you guys outnumber me. Um, but here's the thing. Today, we're going to talk about the pressures of partiality. And it's kind of funny because as people come in and out of my office this last week, the last couple of weeks, I have kind of my outlines on the wall and I, and I refer back to them. I have these little sessions and um, they'll see written on the wall experience God through the pressures of partiality. Uh, most of them would comment, well, what's partiality? Or, or how can we experience God in partiality? And those are the questions we're going to answer today as we look at James chapter 2. But before we get into that, I want to be very clear about partiality and what it is. And just so you know, I'll make this really clear too, all of us are guilty of it from time to time. Because partiality at its deepest root form is really just a, a type of prejudice. And every one of us has held it in our hands in our lifetime. I want to be really clear, too, when I say that being prejudiced is not always about skin color or where you grew up. It seems to me that the current state of affairs, both in our country and in our world, that it's fitting for us to talk about the pressures of partiality today. And if you think that's easy to keep saying, it's not pressures of partiality. But in order to experience God through these pressures, we Christians have to change our mindset about how we see things. You see, all through 2013, our focal point was having 2020 vision. 
I was challenging everybody to see the world through God's eyes. And I, and I, I got to thinking about that again. The only way we can really overlook or work through the pressures of partiality is to begin to see our world through God's eyes, to continue to see our world through God's eyes. Because when we do that, and we see our world for what it is, for how he sees it, our hearts will break. When we see the struggle of the people in our world and our community, our hearts will break. When we see, uh, we will also see their successes in different light. Now, we had some fun here this morning. Uh, Well, I had fun moving you all around, (laughs) making some of you feel uncomfortable for a moment. I want to I want to make sure that that we are never that place. Because one place that partiality does not belong is within the bride of Christ. Because underneath him and because of him, we are all the same. Sinners saved by grace. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. I thank you that that we can come here with one another and, and, and just have these living illustrations work out for us. But I thank you, Lord, that because of your son... His, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that we don't need to have partiality. Thank you that we are all equal in your eyes. I pray that, once again, as I ask every Sunday, what we do here will honor you. But I pray that you will open our hearts, open our minds to your word. Help us to focus on what we need to do to move beyond the pressures of partiality and to experience you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you want to, you may go back to your original seats at this time. You won't bother me. So go, go ahead. Come on. You can make the transition. Uh, unless you didn't like the people you came with, then you can just stay, stay where you are. Uh, <laughs> okay, she came back. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you never know how those are going to work out, Larry. You know? <laughs> I, it, was, it was good. Uh, I know you're thinking, well, that was a cute illustration, or it was, it was funny, or maybe you're thinking, well, that was annoying and awkward. And you're probably also thinking, we don't do stuff like that today. But you know, the sad thing is we do. I found a, an article recently that talked about a church that made national news when they made the couple find a new place to get married on the day before their wedding. The reason? They were the wrong race. A few people in the church pressured the pastor and gave him an ultimatum. They said, you could do the wedding in the building and get fired, or you could move the wedding somewhere else and and keep your job. That's what they told him. And it's a true story, and I'm not making this up. And this is also the part of the story where I would like to say that the pastor rose up above partiality and stood on a firm foundation of what is right and what is wrong, but he didn't. Unfortunately, the story goes that he caved, and they moved the entire wedding location so that he would not lose his job. You see, in our world today, discrimination of all kinds far too often raises its ugly head. And with Christians in the early early church, the same kinds of pressure were happening to give preferential treatment to certain types of people. In James, the focal point of the pressure of partiality is on the economic standing of people. We're going to look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. It shines a very bright light on this pressure, and it happens today, and it happened back then. Read with me in chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, sit here in a good place, which presumably back then was up front, sit here in a good place, and, and then you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We're going to pause there for a second. You know, 
we, we like these trendy little things in our world. And so we often say, don't judge a book by its cover. But that's exactly what we do. That's exactly what the Christians of the first century were guilty of. They made judgments based on outward appearance and first impressions. And according to James, they preferred the wealthy over the poor. James asks us if a, if a well-dressed person or a family comes in for worship with nice clothes on and maybe we see them get out of a fancy new car with designer handbags and lots of bling, as you kids like to say, do you pay special attention to them? Do they get preferential treatment? What about if someone who is just down on their luck comes in? Are, are we hoping that they just sit in the back and, and we look past them? Don't make eye contact with them. They're going to want something. We show them the seat in the back where they're out of the way. Well, the answer in the first century was yes. And we can all agree that it's a horrible way to bring people into worship. And it's, it's, a, it's a horrible way uh, to treat people. But how are we different from this example? I mean, for instance, in your neighborhood, if the house across the street goes up for rent or for sale, and you see the family taking a tour of it with the realtor, and their car is aged, and their kids' clothes are worn and not real sharp, and maybe the dad's a loud talker. You know, you can hear him from across the street, kind of like Cousin Eddie on Christmas vacation, you know? You can tell this guy's going to be the one that borrows your stuff and either brings it back broken or doesn't bring it back. And then you're thinking to yourself, I hope they don't get that house. Two people walk into your business, one in bib overalls and one dressed business casual. Who are you more willing to help? I'm a bib overalls kind of guy. I'm not going to lie. That's, that's where we'd be. But the ugly truth is we prefer people who look like us, who act like us and who serve our needs. Or meet our standards. We don't like their kind. Whatever that means for you. I got to thinking, you know, one of the things I like about Chick-fil-A, besides the spicy chicken sandwich and the chicken tortilla soup, and the ice, well, never mind, is that it's not much I don't like about Chick-fil-A. But what I really like about them is they make every guest feel welcome. I've been there early in the morning. I've been there late at night. I've been there in rush hour. I've been there when there haven't been anybody in the building except the staff. And, and whether you are the first person in the door or you come in right as they're closing, they're glad you came in and they treat you well just for walking in the door. I was in there one night not too long ago and it was closing time and somebody walked in. It was after closing time. I was picking up some stuff. Somebody walked in and said, what time do you all close? They said about 30 minutes ago, but what can we get for you? And, you know, the guy was like, whoa, really? You're not? He's nah, we're good. Everything's going. What do you need? I'm like that's that's good stuff. They're glad you came in. They treat you well just for walking in the door. Our God doesn't discriminate. So why should we? When we show favoritism, the Bible says we become judges. And we get, we get caught up in the pressures of partiality. And when our judgments, they, then they end up having selfish and evil thoughts or motives. We start picking people who can help us or, or rejecting those that, that we don't like or that we don't think can help us or benefit us. And, and maybe sometimes we discredit the people that we just don't understand. And when we do that, we miss experiencing God through this. And when we do that, we miss God's heart. Let's continue to look at James chapter 2. We're going to pick up on verse 5. James says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Verse 6, But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? E.B. White said, prejudice is a great time saver. You can form opinions without having to get the facts. It's true. And he really did say that. We know we really shouldn't judge a book by its cover. I keep saying that. 
But I want you to know wealth does not make someone more powerful or better. James says actually that, that God chose the poor of this world to be rich in things that matter. James says that true religion expresses God's heart. It looks out for widows and orphans, the poorest of the poor. And even so, being poor isn't more holy than having resources. And and again, I want to be clear. God doesn't shut the door on the rich. And the Bible doesn't condemn people who work hard and earn good money. That's not what this is about. The problem isn't money, but how people in the church were treating people that had money. And what we read here is that the church was maybe in the habit or in danger of making wealthy people feel more welcome and poor people feeling shunned because of their situations. And this dishonors a poor person as well, who is very resourceful and also made in the image of God. Another part of this problem is, is the way that some of the rich people were behaving. James says that these people in particular were guilty of oppressing the poor Christians and dragging them to court, taking advantage of them, that some of them even blasphemed Jesus. You know, there, there's a story out that several years ago, the governor of Kentucky wanted to attend a particular church on a Sunday morning. And his staff called the church to let them know that he would attend. And he asked, and the staff asked where they would like the governor to, to park and where the governor should sit when he comes into the, to the auditorium, into the worship. Uh, to their credit, this church, and I love this response, the church informed the governor's staff that he was free to park wherever he wanted and that he could sit anywhere there was an open seat, but nothing would be reserved. I was like, go little church, do it. You know, people think that, that some people may say that was disrespectful, but I think it's awesome. And then don't, don't mistake it. I respect the position and authority that comes with being governor. I get that. But the governor gets no more special treatment than a middle school football coach when we all fall into the pressures of partiality and then we miss the heart of God. We are all on an equal setting here. Continue to look at James chapter 2 with me. We're going to pick up in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So, verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said the whole law is summed up in this. Love God and love others as we love ourselves. You are doing well if you are fulfilling that law. Showing love pleases God. But notice what James says here. If you give in to the pressures of partiality, it means you make a judgment based on the face value of a person. If, if the way you treat someone changes based on their attractiveness or their appearance, the color of their skin, the cars they drive, or any other false measure, then you are guilty of favoritism. You are giving way to the pressures of partiality. And in short, you are committing sin and you are missing the heart of God. You see, we tend to minimize things like this. We minimize things like favoritism and, or, or we harbor things like racism as if it's not that bad. Well, at least they aren't, we aren't murderers. I just don't like that person. I just like them better. But the reality is our God doesn't grade on on a curve. He doesn't say that the good sinners will be okay. He says sin is sin. And the wages of sin is death, regardless of what that sin is. And whether you commit recognized sins or socially acceptable sins or little secret hidden sins, the wages for all of them is the same. 
The good news is we are saved by grace and that God empowers us to become the loving, merciful people that he has called us to be. But how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. First, we have to check our attitude daily. As we get caught up in the news and the current events and who's who and what's going on in our world, we have to check the attitude of our heart. If you find out that that you're treating people with partiality, you need to confess it to God. And then you need to begin to demonstrate God's love in action. Maybe what you need to do is start out deliberately saying a kind word to somebody that you wouldn't normally talk to. Welcome someone at your table at lunch or at work or build someone up. We need to start going out of our way to show people we care. Build a friendship. Spend time with someone you would not typically relate to. You'll be surprised what you can learn from them. One more thing. It's time we cleaned up our act around here. It's my segue into the soap, in case you were wondering. It's time we cleaned up our act. On your chairs, you found two things. Your bar soap and your little journal. Nothing fancy. The bar of soap is from our friends at Spring Hill Suites Hotel. I walked in last week. I said, hey, can I get some of those bars of soap? They said, sure. How many do you need, Fat Rock? I said, about 140. <laughs> they said, you know, we order on the 15th and the 1st. You're kind of in between. You caught us off guard. They called around. They got us enough soap to do this little thing. So then I went to Office Depot. I said, hey, I need some of these little notebooks. And the guy said, all right. We, we worked some things out. So here's the thing. Nothing fancy. Bar of soap. Little composition notebook. But I don't want to be the guy that stands up here and gives out problems and preaches on stuff and then says, and sends you home without the resources that you need to make the changes. I want to send you home with two things, the reminders. So what does a bar of soap from a hotel and a mini notebook have to do with any of this? The soap is your reminder. You can take it to work, take it home, leave it in your car, maybe not on the dash. Um, put it on your desk. Hang it on your refrigerator with a little clip. Put it somewhere. Don't use this bar of soap. This is not for your personal hygiene. This is for your spiritual hygiene. All right? I want you to put this bar of soap somewhere. Even put it somewhere so people at work will ask you, why do you have a bar of soap on your desk? Or why is there a bar of soap hanging on your refrigerator as I go to get some water? Why do you have this? Put it out there so you will see it often. Now, I wish I could tell you that what I'm about to share with you, I came up on my own because I'm just that genius. But I didn't. I found this. Um, and it was somebody else's idea. And what I'm about to share with you came from a pastor in Hawaii, and his name is Wayne. Uh, this was shared with our students at CIY Move this summer, and Lorna has actually shared it with our ladies group in the past as well. <clears throat> and this is where the soap and the journal all comes together. For starters, you need to take a little bit of time each day and read the Bible. But when you do it, you need to have a plan. You need to plan to do it well. And so... I'm going to help you out. First off, using the letters that spell out the word soap, your new little journal, you will now have the tools to read and understand Scripture and work through the pressures of partiality. First is the letter S. S stands for Scripture. And by the way, I made you a little cheat sheet. If you look in the front, we stuck it there. So later, when you open this up, you won't be like, what was I supposed to write in that? What was I supposed to have? So I made it easy on you. First one is S, Scripture. Choose a chapter of the Bible. Find a piece of Scripture Read it. Read it slowly. See what your attention is drawn to. It might be a verse. It might be a phrase. It might be a word. It might be the overall theme or a person. There's no right or wrong answer here, but just read through some scripture. Read through a chapter and pay attention while you're reading. Let God show you when you found that one thing, that verse, that phrase, that idea, and then highlight it or write it down in this little journal. You can put the date, write it down 
and, and make some notes about it. The next one is the letter O. That's for observation. You're going to write out, as you read, write out some reflections from what you highlighted or wrote down in step one. What you do, uh, what do you think this verse means? Why did it need to be written when it was written? What do you think God is saying to you through this? Write all this stuff out. Next is the letter A, application. I can't stress how important this step is. You see, the Bible only works, that only builds wisdom if we do what it says. You, you, can, you can read it all day long, and if you don't follow it, you're, you're going to miss it. It's, it's kind of like, you know, read the owner's manual in your car, but if you never put the key in the ignition and turn it, you're never going to go out of the driveway. Application. Find specific and practical ways to apply the Bible every day of your life. They don't have to be huge. They don't have to be, I'm selling everything I own and moving out to Taiwan. It doesn't have to be like that. Find practical ways every day that you can apply what you've read. Small things are sometimes life-changing. The important thing is that you do something with God's Word and you put it into action. So write down what you're going to apply. So when you get to the application part, you need to put down, this is telling me that I need to be nice to somebody or this is telling me, and write it down and keep this handy. Give it a try. Maybe even come back later and write down, hey, I actually approached that weird neighbor. He gave me back my power tools and a cake. I don't know what it's going to look like. And then finally we have the letter P. It, it rounds out our example, and that's for prayer. Spend some time praying about what you've just read, as well as whatever else is going on around you in your life and the lives of the people that you work with and spend time with. Because overcoming the pressures of trials and temptations and of partiality, it's not easy. But folks, it's very clear that these things, especially partiality, have no place in the church or anywhere in our lives as Christians. Why? Because the ground of the cross is level. God makes no distinction between Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, rich and poor, one race or another race, Democrat or Republican. God plays no favorites and neither should we. The invitation of Jesus is simply whosoever will may come. And as we come to our response time today, that's that's what I want to say. If you need to overcome any of the pressures that we've been talking about this month, please respond. If you're just finally ready to take your soap and your journal and your Bible and get real with God and His Word and and you have questions or maybe you're looking for direction and and for accountability on how to do this, the elders are here. They They can go and talk and pray with you privately about this or anything else that may be going on in your life. Maybe for you, it's, it's time to make that commitment and surrender your life to Christ, making Him your Lord and Savior through baptism, to be forgiven of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now's the time to, to do that. And maybe you're ready, you know, you're ready to, to take this and, and really put action with it. You're ready to commit and make Huntsville Christian Church your church home and partner with us as we impact our community for Christ and as we work with each other through accountability and serving side by side in our community. Whatever your response is today, please consider making it a point to give up some of the pressures in life for the relief and strength that can only come from experiencing God through these things. Will you stand and sing with us and respond accordingly? I tell you, it's tough. And and it's one of the reasons I'm glad to say we're able to come here and and worship happens in all forms. And and there's release and there's a lot of hard things going on in our world. And unfortunately, now it's time to go out into it And I want to tell you this, some good news. The pastor of that church that I talked about earlier that that moved the wedding, he actually, he did regret his decision. He worked really hard to make things right. 
he's obviously no longer at that church. But as for us, as for you, as for me, no matter what happens around us, we need to refuse to play favorites. We need to value what God values, and we need to love indiscriminately. Use your soap. Use your little journal. Use it every day this week. The hope is that when you get to the end of that little journal, you're going to have a habit of of looking at God's Word and applying those things and using them in your life. And when we do that, we will indeed honor God and experience Him through the pressures of partiality and anything else that comes our way. Have a great week.